electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan right now on Last Call, waiting on Powell. Tomorrow's Fed decision looms. What should you be doing with your money? We'll get the top insight. A Capitol Hill showdown. Big tech CEOs prepare to square off over child safety online. Under fire, a short seller tanks shares of a for-profit college giant. The CEO of that company will join us to respond. Cracks in the chip boom? What has AMD shares sinking after hours? Plus, rest in peace, work from home? A wave of companies suddenly order workers to get back to the office. And the Super Bowl, Taylor's version. Is music's biggest superstar already moving the odds around the big game? We have that and more over the next hour. Last call is up right now. Let's dive in. Up first on last call, nearly $5 trillion in market cap reporting tonight, and it's somewhat mixed. Mega cap tech titans Alphabet and Microsoft pulling up a, a bit short on earnings. We have team coverage with CNBC's Deirdre Bosa and Steve Kobach to give you the lowdown. Deirdre, tell us about Alphabet. Well, what I can tell you is that Wall Street was looking for more details around Google's generative AI strategy, but instead of numbers, they got more color. So yeah, Google's incorporating Gen AI into different parts of its business, from search to cloud, YouTube, subscriptions, but that's really what it's been doing already for years. There's still this question of how does Google monetize what it's doing? Is there a killer product or app that it can charge for in generative AI? And that still wasn't clear. At the same time, the costs to build in the age of AI, they are growing. CFO Ruth Porat told investors that CapEx in Q4 was $11 billion and CapEx will be larger in 2024 than it was in 2023. So much for the year of efficiency. Now, a lot of questions from analysts on the state of search and advertising. Still Google's golden goose. And it also missed expectations last quarter. But there's this bigger concern that new generative AI tools like ChatGPT are being used as an alternative to search. CEO Sundar Pichai addressed those concerns at the top of the call. Have a listen. I'm happy with what we are seeing in the earliest days of SGE. It's available through search labs in seven languages. By applying generative AI to search, we are able to serve a wider range of information needs and answer new types of questions, including those that benefit from multiple perspectives. People are finding it particularly useful for more complex questions like comparisons or longer queries. It's also helpful in areas where people are looking for deeper understanding, such as education or even gift ideas. 
All great stuff, but you could say similar things about ChatGPT or cloud or several other large language models. The larger question of whether AI disrupts traditional search at large, that still looms large for Google. And Google also hinted that growth in search ads, it'll be harder to come by. Ruth Porat, the CFO, said that search has a, quote, larger base to grow off in 2024. Contessa, that is CFO talk, that growth could slow. The translation there, Deirdre, appreciate that. Let's take it to CNBC's Steve Kobach for the latest on Microsoft. Steve. Yeah, Contessa, it was a beat on the top and bottom lines for Microsoft, but more interesting what the other numbers are telling us, especially about how Microsoft is making money from AI. A bit of a different story from what we heard from Alphabet. Azure cloud growth, that's the big one. Microsoft beating expectations there, reporting 30% growth while the street was looking for 27.5% growth. So why that beat? Well, it was AI, of course. Microsoft says six points of that growth coming from AI services. That mostly includes OpenAI, which uses Azure to run its services, and the growth in Azure reaccelerating and will likely continue, the company says. Another key figure in this report, Office 365 commercial growth, that was up 17% from a year ago. Now, this is the subscription companies buy for employees to use apps like Outlook and Word. We're all familiar with that. But Microsoft started selling those customers its AI assistant co-pilot last fall. That's represented in those numbers, but we got no real specifics on how well Copilot has sold so far or how it is expected to sell in the future. Though CEO Satya Nadella did highlight the productivity benefit of Copilot. Here's what he said. And overall, early Copilot for Microsoft 365 users were 29% faster in a series of tasks like searching, writing, and summarizing. Two months in, we have seen faster adoption than either our E3 or E5 suites as enterprises like Dentsu, Honda, Pfizer all deploy Copilot to their employees. So a little color there from Nadella about the benefit of paying up so much for this. But he also said Microsoft 365 hit 400 million users. That's 400 million opportunities to sell Copilot. So the overall story here, we have two AI revenue streams for Microsoft. You have those direct sales of Copilot and growth in Azure thanks to services like OpenAI running on Microsoft's cloud. You see shares down about uh, three quarters of a percent, though, on the news there, Contessa. Okay, and, and we're seeing much bigger moves here for Alphabet um, following its earnings report. Steve, thank you so much for breaking down uh, that for us. So of the MAG7, you've got Tesla, Alphabet, Microsoft. With these mixed results, you know, you had some coming in with higher EPS, but just barely meeting expectations on revenue. The group hitting a high going into earnings. Were they just priced to perfection? With us tonight, widely followed tech analyst Dan Ives, Wedbush Securities Managing Director. Thank you for being here in studio. I gather you didn't think that there was anything mixed about those reports. You think... They just hit it out of the park. I think for Microsoft, I mean, that's a quarter and a press release that you should print off and put in the Louvre. Why? Because if you look at the AI revolution, what's happening, they beat by 300 bips on cloud. Copilot, it's exploding from a use case perspective. And they gave guidance. Even the bulls didn't think that they were going to give. I, look, I think the most important earnings throughout all of earnings season, regardless of sector, is Microsoft. This shows the AI revolution is here. Monetization is actually starting. There you're seeing the extended hours trading uh, down more than 5% at this point. So what's what are investors not liking about this? What, what are you seeing 
that they're not seeing, Dan? I think it's a continued groundhog day that we've seen post-Microsoft quarters, the knee-jerk reaction. But then if you understand what's really happened with monetization, this is an incremental trillion dollars of value. I think it's a, it's a pound table for this thing to be down. I ultimately view over the next three, six, nine months, I think there's going to be a four trillion dollar market. You heard Deirdre say that there was there were a lot of questions from analysts on the call about ad revenue and and where what's happening there. What can you read about what Google says sure. and translate that to say Meta, which is also under pressure? Yeah, and Meta will obviously sell off a bit on this. And but, Amazon. And, and Amazon, but but I do believe you, when you look at the comps from an advertising perspective, and we've done surveys on this. I think also they're being conservative. And when you look at what's happened from an advertising perspective, I think the next few quarters, they're actually going to beat from an advertising. You look at the digital ad dollars, we believe it's actually stabilization mode, and it's another one. I think we look out and we look back, and this is a trough moment, which is why we be buyers of Google. Are you, are you satisfied with the amount of attention that these companies are paying to how they monetize artificial intelligence? That's what it's all about. I mean, how you monetize, and Deirdre talked about for Google, when it comes to Google Cloud, that's going to be huge to the sum of the part story. It's all about this Game of Thrones battle in AI, who's monetizing. But if you look what's happened in Redmond, at the top of the mountain, along with the godfather of AI, NVIDIA, you are now seeing monetization. That's why we believe this new tech bull market is here. Okay, so three more of the Mag7 report Thursday. You've got Apple, Amazon, and Meta. Focusing here on Apple, you recently released a note saying that this is another prove me moment for Cook and Cupertino. What do you mean by that? The New York City cab drivers bearish on Apple going into this quarter, thinking that iPhone units going to continue to decline given what we see in China. Our checks are showing the opposite. I mean, stabilization that we believe services back to double digit growth. I'm not saying it's rose and champagne, but I believe this is one you're starting to see a renaissance of growth in Cupertino. And the AI story is still ahead of us, which is why I view Apple as one of our best tech picks for the year. Can I tell you my aha moment today? I put on the headset and then I turned on Apple TV and saw some dinosaur thing that was like being in a ride in, at Universal. Our parent company owns Universal. You know, it's, it's unbelievable to see those advances. Now, at 3,000 plus, sure. I'm not sure that that's going to be the next big seller that lifts uh, Apple, but it was impressive the way they're pushing that forward. I mean, originally units, we thought 200,000 for the year. Now it's 600,000. Wow. And two years from now, this is sub $1,500 and they're going to resemble sunglasses. It's just another where they continue to play chess, others play checkers. A Delaware judge, we, we got this news late today has voided Elon Musk's $56 billion Tesla compensation package. The judge sided with an investor who sued and said the package is flawed and inappropriately set by the board. Shares for Tesla down in the extended trade by more than 3% on that decision. Investor plaintiffs argued that the package was just excessive. Elon has gone back to his board and said, no, 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 I need more stock Mm -hmm. in this company in order for you to keep my brain power. Where do you come down on this? I mean, the biggest asset in Tesla is Musk. Musk is Tesla. Tesla is Musk. And obviously, this is a jaw dropper that ultimately that came down in Delaware. I think the board ultimately goes back to the drawing board and comes out with a compact that could supersede this. 
and, and maybe get Musk to what we believe could be close to 25 percent you know, voting interest. This is a, it's a pivotal time for Tesla. And there the board is not going to take this sitting down. This is something they're going to fight. And I think it could actually be an aha moment for Musk and the board. We have a lot of aha moments. And, and here we are just 10 minutes or so into last call. Thank you for joining no, us. Great Dan. to be here. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. Let's take a look at what happened to your money today. The Dow, the S&P, the 500. Well, look, again, we had a mixed day here. You have the Dow up slightly by a third of a percent. S&P basically flat but red. And the Nasdaq off by three quarters of a percent. And looking at the futures now, here they go. We've got the S&P futures up by a third of a percent. Dow Jones Industrials in the green, barely. Nasdaq futures down by three quarters of one percent. Up next. Capitol Hill face-off. Top tech CEOs get ready to spar over whether kids are safe online. Tomorrow, one of the lawmakers who joins us, and he'll be here tonight. Plus, the best buys for your money ahead of tomorrow's Fed decision. Top insight you can't afford to miss. That's ahead. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy ready to be a part of it? Extra, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com. Let's get to tomorrow's news tonight. The stories you and Wall Street will be talking about. Uh, first up, Walmart has announced a three-for-one stock split. The company says the move will allow more employees to buy into stock plans. Shares will begin trading on the post split basis beginning February 26th. Walmart stock stock rather is nearing a record high, which last it hit in November. And tomorrow is set to be a major day on Capitol Hill. The CEOs of several big tech companies will testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Big tech titans, Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg, ex-CEO Linda Yaccarino, TikTok CEO Shuzi Chu, and all expected to answer questions about the potential harm social media platforms pose to children and to teens. Mark Zuckerberg is, of course, no stranger to the halls of Congress. He's first testified before Congress in 2018, and this will be his eighth time in about six years. Since he first testified, Metastock has surged an impressive 153%. So will we see different testimony this time around? Joining me now, Vermont Senator and Senate Judiciary Committee member, Peter Welch. Senator, it's great to have you today. Are you expecting 
significantly different testimony from Mark Zuckerberg tomorrow than than lawmakers have heard in the past? Not really. But I think what we want to do is focus attention on it's not the presumed <clears throat> mental health issues. Kids are really getting hammered uh, with mental health issues. And social media, by this point, everybody knows, plays a major role. Social media has the advantage of immunity uh, from well, lawsuits because of Section 230. And we're going to have a lot of parents who lost their kids to suicides that are going to be in the audience. The second thing is the media companies, never doing better, as you mentioned, but the stock price, they have a business model where they amplify things that disturb kids because they get more hits. And the more hits they get, the more advertising revenues they get. And even as their share prices are going up, the personnel that are, whose job it is is to monitor content and abuse, including sexual abuse, they're getting laid off. So those are going to be the nature of the questions that we're asking. And I think you'll see Republicans and Democrats on the same page here. <clears throat> I, I'm curious, what do you expect them to say and how might that shape policy? I, I, I mean, we've, we've heard from Mark Zuckerberg before and we've seen other uh, online leaders come in and try to explain to lawmakers uh, how they approach misinformation and their algorithms. Well, there's two things. Uh, number one, I do expect that they'll be more of the same and their usual testimony is things are going great, just give us, leave us alone and we'll take care of it. That's not going to work. And the two issues that I think are going to happen is one, there'll be much more exposure. Mm -hmm. But number two, the question for Congress is, are we going to establish an agency who day to day <clears throat> has the responsibility to be monitoring how big tech is acting in ways that are hurting our kids and hurting our privacy and hurting the misinformation campaign that is so rampant. The second question that more and more members of Congress are asking is, should tech be exempt from any lawsuits? You know, a television network is not, uh, a radio station is not, a newspaper is not. And there's a lot of frustrated parents in that room who have litigation sure. about actions that the tech companies didn't take to protect their kids. So you're going to see the nature of the debate, I think, start to change. I'm already seeing it in Congress. You know, Senator, Arkansas, Louisiana, Ohio and Utah all have some restrictions on social media or the age. Florida right now has introduced a bill. My understanding is it's bipartisan to limit children's access to social media. And in fact, they don't want kids younger than 16 <coughs> to be able to get on social media. Why are the states taking the lead on this? Where's the federal government? Well, that's a good point. The states are taking a lead on this because the federal government has relinquished um, its authority. We haven't stood up to the tech companies to take a definitive action. A couple of things. One, the tech companies, as your business reports show, are extraordinarily successful and wealthy. They have a lot of power here. Number two, there's division within Congress about how and what the remedy should be. And it's why the states, I think, are playing a very constructive role by proceeding to take action that and, they think will protect their and, kids. And less, that has a way of migrating down here. And, and lest my audience think that I'm coming down hard on the companies, I'm a parent <clears throat> of 10-year-old boys. I think parents who are concerned should keep their kids off social <clears throat> media. What is the role for parents in your view of where there's danger? 
major role. But you know, I talk to parents and I talk to my kids who have I have grandkids, and they're terrified because they are completely concerned about the well-being of their kids. They pay attention, as most parents do, as you do, to what the best they can for monitoring their kids. But this is so out there and so in the world that unless there's some responsibility taken by tech companies in monitoring what's happening in, 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 to protect kids, uh, parents are on an uphill yeah. battle oftentimes. I think that's Huge role for the parents, but it's not on them alone. It takes a village. Senator Welch, it's good of you to join us tonight. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Still ahead, AMD shares tumbling after hours. Why even a big update on AI chips just can't lift the stock. Plus, the best moves for your money ahead of tomorrow's Fed decision. We get top insight next. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Oh, you guys are going to love this. We have a bonus after the bell earnings. Tomorrow's news tonight for you. Are you ready? First up, AMD shares sliding after hours. The company reported earnings in line with expectations, but forecasts fell short. AMD expects its PC chips business, among others, to decline during the first quarter. It gave a positive update on chip sales and said it expects $3.5 billion in data center GPU sales in 2024. Quick programming note, AMD CEO Lisa Su will be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow. You don't want to miss that. Next up, Starbucks reported earnings and revenue that missed expectations. The CEO said the company faces headwinds in North America. Same-store sales rose by 5%. Global same-store sales increased the same amount, and it was short of estimates. Shares initially dipped after hours, but they've turned back. And look at that. They're green, up 3.5% in the extended trade. Another name moving after hours, Mondelez, the parent company of dozens of snack brands like Oreos and Triscuit, falling after hours. It's organic growth here in the, uh, in the North American market and abroad in Asia came in lower than expected. Mondelez is calling for slower growth in 2024. And of course, tomorrow is a big day for your money. We are less than 19 hours away from a Fed decision. Wall Street largely expecting the central bank to just hold rates steady again. But will investors hang their hat on a next cut and hang on every word coming from Chair Powell for hints of when that might happen? Billionaire hedge fund manager Ken Griffin spoke at the MFA Network conference in Miami earlier today, and he said, the Fed may stick the soft landing. We do look like we have put some of the economic anxiety of Q4 behind us. Good payroll numbers, good GDP growth, and most importantly, inflation is moderating at a, a pace that's frankly better than the market anticipated. We may get Goldilocks, we may get a soft landing or even no landing. We may be looking at a, at a moment in time where inflation this year is, is low twos, the Fed can start to cut rates come this summer, 
and we will see unemployment touch up a little bit, but the overall economy looks pretty damn good right now. Well, investors have got to love that. What do they want to hear from the Fed chairman? Let's ask founder and CIO of Seymour Asset Management, CNBC fast money trader, Tim Seymour. Contessa, good it, to see you. It is Speaking great of looking to pretty have, damn good. Thank I mean, I, it's you. great to be here. Thank you very much. I assume that was for me and not well, for the Well, Ken, I don't know who I, I walked in as he was saying that, so I thought I'd. Yeah. Listen, I, you know, when you think of what the sentiment numbers show for consumers right now, the job market is pretty good. What do the markets want to hear from Fed Chair Powell that, that they haven't already priced in? Like what, how, in what way can he massage his words to say, we're just going to sit right here and wait and see what happens? Well, I, I think he's trying to not be dramatic tomorrow. And I think the drama is going to come in the nuance of the Fed statement that finally shows neutrality. Um, they're probably not going to talk about the potential to raise again. Uh, they're certainly going to try to, uh, I think, dispel any myths that they're ready to cut, even though Obviously, that's the big debate here. And, and, and I, I think ultimately markets uh, have the path that they're in partially because the view is that the Fed is, is at this point um, digesting some fantastic inflation numbers. Look at that PCE we got last Friday, um, a dynamic with the job market that's you know, starting to soften, even though I think you know, we have a, a great environment. Here's the, the can we put them back up? The, this is the Fed rate cut probabilities. There, there was and this is from the Fed survey. Nine percent of those who responded saying, yeah, we think it could happen in March. Look, it's not going to happen in March. Um, But if you if you look at where we were a month ago, it was 85 percent in March. So those dynamics and I don't think we're going to get 75 basis points by August, which is also what Fed fund futures are telling us right now. Um, But the the, the dynamic with the Fed is something that's allowing equities to move here, because the reality is um, the Fed, while restrictive and while real rates seem to be going higher, which means that the Fed is actually maybe a little behind the, the, the easing curve. That's that's fine for this market. That's fine for this Fed. Last year, we heard on air so much armchair quarterbacking about how the Fed was getting it wrong. They were hiking too fast. They were going to put the economy in the tank. When you sit here at the very end of January and look at where we are, do you think they may have gotten it right? Yeah. I, a, a soft landing, a Goldilocks. Yeah, I mean, all think of the terms. cliches. Right, we're threading the needle. We've got the soft landing. It's Goldilocks. It's the triple Lindy for those people who remember back to school with Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. Great. I know, you know, it's one of, one of your favorites. Look, <laughs> it, it's a case where no one believed the Fed could do this. You can't go from uh, zero to four, excuse me, five and a quarter in, in a world, you know, post Volcker without pain. And in fact, so far, it's been a dynamic where the sequencing of this has actually worked very well with the economy. Okay, so in an environment where we are no longer hyperventilating over rates and how high they're going to go, the focus has returned to earnings. We got big ones today. What's your sense so far and where are we going? Well, uh, unfortunately for people that want to see this broadening of the market, you've actually had the concentration actually get even tighter. So if you look at the top 10 stocks, they're about 34 percent of the S&P. If you look at the expectations on earnings, you're relying on essentially the largest companies to give you 10 percent earnings growth. And, and for the fourth quarter, we're, we're, we're supposed to be getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 percent, excuse me, for 2024. So if you think what the market needs, the market needs to see follow through from uh, not just the biggest companies in the world, but some of the broader companies. 
companies. And and you've had kind of a mixed show. You know, we talked about what Mondelez gave you. I was looking at those Oreos getting kind of fired up here. I mean, it's a case where consumer staples companies, some of the consumer discretionary, even some of the healthcare companies are starting to give you some sense that um, their world's gotten a little bit better. Well, the you know, if you're looking at Mondelez and they're talking about how sales might be just coming down a bit, it's also part of the fact that consumers have been paying higher food prices for a long time now, and it's and and now if you've been able to withstand are you, it for this, are long, you feeding your, your boys uh, Oreos? I mean, are they getting I, Oreos they, at they home where you guys for, do they healthy? Be, for they beg for them in their lunch every day, and I say <laughs> and you, and that you is deliver. a treat. That's a treat. I think you're the Not kind of mom that slips a, an Oreo in there and, and a little note that says "Love you, honey." I, I mean, I anyway. Uh, I, I tell you what, I think the market here is looking for some of that. And I think the market here is actually looking for They want broadening. a little love. Well, we, we all do. I, you know, maybe that's a good place to leave it. I don't Tim know. Tim Seymour, thank, thank you. you. Coming up, short seller torpedo shares of a for-profit college giant. And now its CEO is ready to strike back. He will be here. Plus, tensions crank up between the U.S. and Iran. We'll hear exclusively from the Deputy Secretary of Defense on what's next. Stay with us. Tensions in the Middle East accelerating. President Biden said today he's made a decision on how to respond to the drone attack in Jordan that killed three U.S. soldiers. He did not provide details on what that response would be. But here's what he said, leaving the White House earlier today. I don't think we need a wider war in the Middle East. That's not what I'm looking for. Morgan Brennan is in Washington, D.C. right now and just sat down with the deputy, the deputy secretary of defense, Kathleen Hicks, for an exclusive interview. Morgan, what did you come away with? Well, Contessa, I did ask Deputy Defense Secretary Kathleen Hicks about this this morning. First of all, um, really want to send condolences to the families of those three service members, alongside many others who were injured, who are still in recovery. Um, uh, we have had 165 such attacks against us by these Iranian-linked groups. Uh, this is the first one to cause American casualties, um, uh, uh, deaths. That is uh, uh, quite a marker, and it will absolutely require a response from the United States. Uh, I'm not going to speak for the president. I'm sure he has all options on the table, and we'll be thinking through carefully the dynamics of the larger Middle East challenge set. Uh, but it cannot go forward without impu with impunity um, to attack American, kill American service members. Now, on the Houthi strikes on ships in the Red Sea, the Pentagon's second-highest-ranking civilian stressing the focus on supporting safe maritime trade as well. The entire economy depends on um, the price of those goods and services being supported by free flow. So there's a lot of countries in the world that should be very invested in security of, of the Red Sea. Um, the overall challenge that we face, of course, is degrading the capabilities of the Houthis, uh, a stateless group, to uh, attack any kind of shipping. They don't have the, the targeting wherewithal to understand what they're attacking. They are, um, you know, going to hit um, a wide variety of vessels if they continue as they are. Joining me from Andreessen Horowitz's DC Tech Summit, American Dynamism, we also discussed the growing role of software and AI in military applications as the U.S. considers China the pacing threat. 
I wouldn't say we're in an arms race. I think the United States always, we try to always look at what do we need for our war fighters. It, they may have a different view in, the, in, in China about what they need for their war fighters. We know we need AI and we have a very aggressive investment strategy. We've been involved in AI at DOD since the 1960s. Um, and we're going to continue to leverage our advantages there, even as we're making sure what we deliver is safe. If it's not safe and useful for a warfighter, it's not effective. So the Pentagon is looking to acquire more drones and autonomous weapons systems. Secretary Hicks is overseeing an ambitious initiative called Replicator to field thousands within two years. She disclosed today they are on target and already working with Congress on funding strategies. But of course, Contessa, given the fact that we are continuing to see the U.S. government operate off of a continuing resolution, unclear how all of that materializes uh, on the Hill as well around future budgets. Yeah, exactly. Morgan, thanks. Meanwhile, a short-selling bombshell today. Short seller Fami Cotter, nicknamed the assassin by some Wall Street insiders, is taking aim at for-profit education company Ad Talum. CNBC exclusively received Cotter's report earlier today, and she describes the company as uninvestable, arguing it has not disclosed that it's under investigation by the Department of Education. Cotter joined CNBC earlier today, and here's what she had to say about the report. Any investigation, any bad publicity will affect enrollments. And at Atalum, over multiple years now, enrollments have been in decline. That will affect sentiment. And we expect that will put pressure on fundamentals in the near term. Shares of Atalum seeing a massive sell-off as a result, down about 18% today. But here's a twist. Now the CEO of Atalum is firing back. CNBC's Eamon Javers joins us now with a sit-down with CEO Steve Beard. Amen. Contessa, thank you for that. And Steve, uh, thank you for being here tonight. Really appreciate your time, especially on such a, what must have been a busy day for you today. Can you walk us through how the day unfolded for you today? Because there aren't a lot of CEOs out there who've seen you know, their stock market value plummet by 20 to 25% in a day as you did today. Take us behind the scenes a little bit. What's that like? Sure, well, we were surprised and disappointed by the report. But we immediately concluded that it made sense to pull forward our earnings announcement for the quarter. We were scheduled to go out on Thursday. We pulled it forward today because we thought our owners and our other stakeholders, quite frankly, needed the additional context around the performance and trajectory of the firm. Uh, The fact of the matter is that lots of the claims in the report are unsubstantiated. uh, And we wanted the opportunity to get out and discuss that with our shareholders. And to do that, we really needed to give them visibility into the earnings that we were going to release later this week. Yeah, on your earnings call, which happened at 5 p.m. Eastern, you said uh, that some of the statements in the report were, quote, inaccurate uh, and misleading. Can you walk us through what exactly was inaccurate uh, in Fami Kadir's report earlier today? Yeah, I'll I'll resist the opportunity or the temptation to go point by point. But uh, the headline of the report suggests that there's a looming existential crisis for Atalum and its institutions, and nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, We have very attractive market-responsive programs, fantastic student outcomes, and constructive relationships with our creditors and our regulators. We're proud of what we bring to market, and the assertions around the programs presented in the report just don't bear out, in fact. Uh, So uh, it was important to put ourselves in a position to have that conversation with our stakeholders. Sure. And you don't have to go point by point, but but anything that was in the report that was factually inaccurate. So we understand. Yeah, sure. For example, uh, the report uh, made uh, quite a bit of noise about graduation rates at Walden University and Chamberlain University. 
but in fact, the report uses inaccurate and incomplete data. Uh, so for some of the, the data they cite, they're using a single state for an institution that operates in 22 different jurisdictions. Uh, for Walden, they're actually using undergraduate data for an institution where three quarters of its programs are graduate programs. So uh, it, it, it understates and misrepresents the academic outcomes of our students. And obviously, uh, we'd like to get ahead of that. Let me ask you about this Department of Education investigation. Uh, on the earnings call, you said you are cooperating with the investigation. And, and one of the analysts uh, on the call uh, asked you exactly, you know, what is this investigation all about? And you didn't say precisely, so I wanted to give you an opportunity here. What information specifically has the Department of Education asked you for? And what do you think their investigation is going after here? Sure. So the Department of Education reached out to us for information related to PhD programs at Walden University. Uh, they asked for data around those programs, including some of the representations we make about the program going back to 2017. The request didn't allege any impropriety or misconduct on Walden's part. We provided the department all of the information they've requested, and we are confident that upon review of that information, the department will conclude that the way we've represented those programs meets their standards. Uh, we understand that Ed is looking at PhD programs across the sector. Uh, we're aware of that, uh, and we feel quite confident uh, in the way we both market and deploy and en enroll students in those programs. What's the timeline on that? I mean, obviously, this has been made very public today. Uh, it's going to be sort of a cloud hanging over you until the Department of Education resolves this thing. Do you have any indication when this will be over uh, from the Department of Education? Our understanding is that the department will undertake its review on its own timeline. Uh, that having been said, we've disclosed this to the accreditor uh, for those programs. They posted it on their website, and we're communicating with our students and our faculty and other stakeholders, assuring them that uh, we have a high degree of confidence in the way we both market those programs, present them to students, and the way we support our students through those programs. We're really quite proud of Walden. We're quite proud of those PhD programs. Uh, they're a really important vehicle for folks looking to advance their professional and academic ambitions. Well, Steve Beard, very tough day for you. Really appreciate you coming on tonight uh, and walking us through this uh, real time in the same day that this report came out. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. And Contessa, back over to you. Amen. Great work. Thanks. Coming up, why the glory days of work from home suddenly look numbered. Stay with us. Welcome back. Should we be saying RIP to work from home? The list of companies mandating employees return to the office grows longer by the day. Recently, IBM, UPS, and Bank of America have announced new rules regarding how and where employees get their work done. And Wayfair, the online furniture retailer, told employees that, quote, remote workers are more likely to be laid off in the latest round of job cuts. Are we officially seeing the power dynamics shift from employees back to employers? Tom Gimbel is the founder and CEO of the LaSalle Network, and Joanne Lippman, Yale University lecturer and CNBC contributor, join us. Uh, Joanne's also the author of Next, The Power and the Reinvention in Life and Work. Uh, great to have you both here. Joanne, I, let me start with you. Do you think that there's some real science behind the reasons why all of these companies are saying, get your butt back into the office. 
Yeah, thanks, Contessa. So first of all, work from home is here to stay. We've been hearing this since 2020. More and more companies keep saying, you got to come back to work, you got to come back to work. And frankly, it is not working. Employees have been pushing back. And as long as the economy remains strong, and that is a caveat, as long as the economy remains strong, uh, that will continue. And by the way, Contessa, what's really interesting, there's been new research that's been coming out about these return to office mandates. And there was a study that looked at financial results that found that there is no difference in financial results when you bring people back to the office. It doesn't improve quarterly earnings. It doesn't improve your stock price. It doesn't make a difference financially. The only difference that the researchers found was it makes your employees miserable. They, they're less happy with their jobs and what, they feel very What about proximity bias? Proximity bias is a real thing. The, the one issue I have to say that, that I do think that it, we're seeing the needle move is on fully remote jobs versus hybrid jobs. The fully remote jobs are drying up. Um, if you look at like LinkedIn data of job openings, uh, it's, it's cut in half the, for fully remote jobs. And not only that, there is research on that as well that shows, and we saw it with Wayfair, we, you, you do see that there is a higher rate of layoffs among fully remote employees. But that difference is between fully remote versus full-time and okay. hybrid. So Tom, your turn. Give me a sense of why it's important to all of these CEOs to get their workforce back into the office? Well, when it's rainbows and candy canes, Contessa, everything's good. So the reason there's no comparable difference between remote worker and the office is because the economy has been doing great statistically from 21 and 22. And I think that when we look at the situation, We've got to realize that CEO's job is not to just look at today. It's to have a vision for where things are going to be months, quarters, years into the future. And when things start to get bumpy, we don't like to try new things. We want to do what we know works. And there's this difference. Listen, there's always going to be companies that will be remote. There's no doubt about that. I totally agree that there will be some companies that do that and some players. But the rank and file being having the choice of where and when to work, those days are, are, are going to be numbered pretty soon. Why do you think that IBM, for instance, Tom said, uh, either you get back here or quit instead of either get back here and we're firing you? Oh, I think because, well, why did they say get back here or you're resigning versus because they want to give people the option. Listen, we want you here and we believe that we can withstand a bumpy road in the economy if our people are in the office and being collaborative and working together. We want a team that's fighting this together at the same time, same places. And listen, they have multiple offices around the world. So it's not like they're all going into one central area, but they believe that collaboration and seeing people creates more positive outcomes. And I believe them. I was sort of anti uh, an official return to office mandate and, and still I kind of am, but I'm back in the office a lot. And I have to say there is an advantage to coming back of your own volition and then having no, still no, some- No, 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 I disagree. Your own volition. See, this is the challenge that we have is that <laughs> the, 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 the companies pay people and, and they have the right to say that. And the employee has the right to quit. Right. I think somehow we've forgotten the way the system works. I, I think that's the, somebody, most bosses so, feel like that. Most bosses feel the way that you do, 
that they want you to do what they're, do what I'm telling you to do, and it doesn't matter why. No, Go ahead, Joanne. Also, but you also that's do want to have. If, if your babysitter if wanted to take your, if your babysitter if, didn't want to watch your baby at your house and they wanted to take your baby to their house, you'd say, you know what? I'm paying you. You watch the baby where I want you to watch it. And it would be the same thing in a myriad of different cases of analogous situations. But for some reason, mm. because we were allowed to do this during a global pandemic, this didn't happen because the yeah, everybody wanted to be nice and fuzzy and working where you wanted it. <laughs> it was the reaction to a global pandemic. It's true. So if you want to talk about vision and the CEO having vision for their future, you want to think about hybrid and remote options because look what happened because of hybrid and remote. We have a record percentage of women in the workforce, women with young kids who were not able to participate in the way that they wanted to. Why do you think we haven't had a recession? One of the reasons is because we have had this addition of all of these women who are now adding to the economy, adding to GDP. So and you want to have this very, very best pool of people and the very best pool of applicants. On that note, this time we should have had like an hour and maybe drinks. Thank you both for joining me. I appreciate it. Coming up, the Taylor Swift effect roars into the Super Bowl. The big money signals already here next. While the NFL scored a monster TV rating over the weekend, more than 55 million people watched the Chiefs beat the Ravens. It's now the most watched AFC championship game ever. But one superstar may have drawn in some extra eyeballs, Taylor Swift. She's reportedly set to attend the Super Bowl to watch her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey. So will Swift make this the most watched Super Bowl ever? Could her presence be moving the betting line. Let's talk about it with sports business analyst Joe Pompliano. He's an investor at Pomp Investments, host of the Joe Pomp Show podcast. It's great to see you. All right. So Taylor Swift has created all of this um, attention, controversy, pro for she messed up the football season in the middle. Oh, no, she brought it back and she's a good luck charm. Is she moving the lines? Hey, Contessa, thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I do think that we're going to see a record viewership number for this year's Super Bowl, topping the f 115 million viewers that we saw during last year's game. And Taylor Swift is certainly part of that. She's added a storyline to the team all year, and the data, quite frankly, proves it. The bill, uh, the uh, Chiefs had 50 million viewers for their divisional game, which was a record, and they had 55 million viewers for the AFC Championship, which was another record. But I think Taylor Swift is really just one piece of the puzzle here. And the bigger piece of the puzzle is how this viewership data is actually being calculated. Many of the people watching this show probably have heard of a company called Nielsen. They're the one that gathers and puts together the viewership data for these games and other TV networks. And they did something in 2020. And what they did was they fundamentally changed the way that this data was calculated. They added something to the viewership number called out-of-home viewership. And essentially what that means is it's you watching a game outside of your home. We're talking about bars, restaurants, and watch parties. This can make a significant significant difference to the overall number. For Thanksgiving Day this year, it added 10 to 15 million viewers per game because of the holidays where people are gathering together to watch these games. And I think it's going to have quite an impact on the Super Bowl as well. And that's how we're going to see record viewership numbers this year. In the meantime, the NFL could also get a boost because they haven't quite reached parity in terms of their female fan base. Taylor Swift could change that. And I know you've been talking a little bit about the merchandise and, and how much women are making up the merchandise growth for the NFL, that certainly could have had uh, an opportunity for growth and an impact because of this. 
By the way, one more little stat for you. So when we looked at DraftKings tonight, even though the Niners are two-point favorites, it looks like 85% of the money, no, 85% of the bets, rather, the volume, is going to the Chiefs. What do you think of that? Crazy, right? It is crazy. Yeah, we'll see how much money That's you have to That's your last call tonight. <laughs> Brian will be back tomorrow, and Shark Tank is next. That? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com.